0: morning, everybody. It's kind of cool to think right now getting started pretty soon is a, a church plant. <laughs> that, just really exciting for those guys. I give almost anything to be there this morning. Um, but this is also where I like to be as well. Um, Happy New Year if we haven't said it to you. You guys ready for this new 2018? Yeah, all right. Some of you are. Some of you aren't. Uh, what, one of the things though that I just do, I, I'm, I'm not big into New Year's resolutions, not that that's good or bad, but I do take a little bit of assessment in my life uh, as pastor of this church. I take a, an assessment of, of where we are as a church, like to just kind of go up the mast of the boat and and look out and like ask, like, where are we and and where where do we need to go? And I don't have anything really profound to say other than this, that I just think it's a time for crossroads and this, this is including me for us to really get back to the basics. Not to try to come up with something new, something clever, something creative, but to just get back to the basics of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And the basics are as basic as this. First of all, that all of us that this church would commit itself to the Word of God in in a new, fresh way in this year. And one of the things that I'm going to call our church to, and again, this is for you to participate in or not, is for us to participate in an annual reading plan of the Bible. Now, one of the things that I'm kind of jealous of with the Jewish people is that going back already before the time of Jesus, they've been on this reading plan where every Jew, I don't care where you live, they're all reading the same parts of Torah. It's called Torah portions. And you could show up in a synagogue today in Tokyo or a synagogue in New York City knowing exactly what's going to be talked about or what part of the Bible will be talked about. And... What I like about that is that it's so communal. It's not just me and my walk with God, but it's we. It's this is what we're doing, this is how we are digesting the word. And so I've come up with uh, a reading plan that includes the Torah portion and the New Testament. That, again, you don't have to. And I don't want this to be a heavy yoke on people. Uh, you may, and it's not per day, it's per week, it, it's scheduled per per week, and you may read just a couple verses one week, or you may read all the verses each week. But how cool would it be then when you're in your house church, or you're meeting with someone at the Crossroads, and that then now can become part of the conversation. We're not just talking about sports, we're not just talking about politics, as if anyone's talking about politics these days. Um, <laughs> But we're talking about the Word of God and how it's being digested in our lives. So I'm saying no more. I have these reading plans at the four corners of the stage. Uh, You have to show a little effort. That's why I'm not handing them out this morning. Uh, I'm not going to shove it down your throat. uh, But at any time in the gathering, if you want to pick one up, please do. Second basic is prayer. I mean, it's like breathing for a Christian. We breathe in God's Word. We breathe out prayer to God um and 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 crossroads at the leadership level is gonna uh try to just again come up with ways where we cannot just call our church to pray as individuals but collectively and will and i are really excited about our wednesday night prayer which will be this wednesday we are calling our church to be there the elders will be there we want church leaders to be there we want you to be there why? So we can pray for the city of Grand Rapids. So we can pray for our country. So we can pray for the nations. So we can pray for the needs amongst ourselves. Uh, prayer is effective. And then the third thing that I just feel like we've got to get back to, so basic, and yet the church is so missing it, and it's the very thing we're going to talk about this morning, is that we are a church of disciples who are making disciples. So with that being said, let's uh, get back into the life of Paul, which is where we've been. Turning your Bibles to Acts 16. And I'm just going to give just a little bit of a review right now where we've been, just because I think, you know, we've been in and out with the holidays. Um, and, And we've looked at Paul so far, his life... Uh, growing up, was on this path, and then, boom, early in the game, he encounters Christ, and and life as he knew it at that moment was blown up, Um, much like Isaiah, when when Isaiah encountered Christ and and said, uh, I'm undone, I mean, that's how you know when you have encountered a real Christ. It's not just warm and fuzzies, but Christ is going to undo us. He's going to deconstruct us so that then he can reconstruct us into something altogether new. And, and, and think about Paul. I mean, Paul is this young, talented, brilliant, head of his class, um, all these big ambitions, doing things with the big shots of his day. I mean, his life is going to the top really fast. Boom, he meets Jesus Christ, and, and it's like, in that moment, Paul's probably left asking, who am I now? What is my call? And he runs to where every Jew will go to to hear from God. He goes to the desert. And I love how he puts this in Galatians 1. He said, in this time, I didn't consult with any human being, but I went to the desert to consult with God. Because Paul knows that this isn't for him to figure out. Who am I? What am I doing here? He knows that he needs God to speak, Paul, this is who you are. He needs God to, to speak into his life, God, Paul, this is what I've called you to be. And so, of course, he runs to the desert and God speaks profoundly to him and places massive call in Paul's life. And I know it's massive call because of what Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 15. He does a remes there. Um, a remes is, is, is taking a little quote from scripture um, and, 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 and where it hints at certain things And he, he quotes a scripture That he applies to himself That's only used two other places The quote is God set me apart from my mother's womb Where is that found? Does anybody know? Jeremiah where? 1 verse 5 Listen to what Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says I just remembered I did not mark that So bear with me yes, I did. <laughs> before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were set apart, I called you as a prophet to the nations, to the goyim, to the Gentiles. And uh, this, this is the call that, that, that God speaks into Paul. And before I go any further, what call has God spoken into you? I mean, We love to ask these questions here. Who are you? What are you doing here? Because when, when Christ converts us, he also calls us. What's your calling? Now well, Paul will leave that desert. He's going to step right into his calling. And we looked at how the next ten years of his life... It's going to be marked by one failure after another. Not only does he swing and strike out, uh, but he's also rejected. He's not only rejected by the Jews, but he's also uh, rejected by his own Christian brothers and sisters. Where he finally kind of is all washed up in his father's basement. And I, I thought of this this week. Like, what is it that sustains a person in the midst of difficulty? Rejection, failure, what keeps a person going? Call. When you know you've been called to something, I don't care what storms are are, are thrown at you, that call will buoy you. It will anchor you in the midst of the difficulty and the suffering, the persecution. And, and, and Paul has this. He has this profound sense of knowing who he is and what he's called to be. And, and it's in this place that we learn that Barnabas uh, is like, hey, where, where's Paul? We need Paul in the game. So Barnabas goes and gets Paul. And they set out on what's called uh, Paul's first missionary journey. Um, and they are now taking the gospel ...to the Gentiles. Now, here's where I also want to introduce us to Paul's strategy. Because Paul has a very specific strategy. When he's taking the gospel to to the Gentiles... ...he's not just showing up in a city... ...and standing at a street corner with a microphone in hand... ...and preaching Christ. When you read this carefully... ...he is going into these little pockets of people the people of God that exist all over the Roman Empire, um, and and they're gathering in in synagogues, and he's going to them. Because in the synagogue, not only does he have people who are worshipping the one true God, people who know uh, the story of God, uh, but he also has tons of Gentiles, and I don't think we realize this, but in the Roman world, it was so inconsiderate of one's well-being. It was dark. It left a trail of hurting, wounded people. Its religion was dark. And when people learned about Yahweh, and, 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 and this Jewish God, and, 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 and the life that he called us to live, so many Gentiles were drawn into this. So many of them are gathering in the synagogues. Our Bible calls them god fears. And so Paul gets the task, basically, to go to people who already have half the story. And he gets to tell them and say, guess what, the story has just moved way forward. The one the story has said will come, the Messiah, the coming one, he has come. How fun would that be? And here's the thing, like I think, One of the reasons why sometimes we're just like, well, what's the big deal about that? Is we've reduced the coming king to, oh, good, when we die, we get to go to heaven. That's not, that's a Greek thought. The biblical thought is that when the coming one finally came, a new age has dawned. This age of, of, of God bringing everything back to life, of, of new creation, of, of, of the old age being gone, of the new age being here. I mean, you guys, we, we ought to be jumping for joy at the thought today that we belong to this new age that not only is it, does it mean that when we die, uh, we're going to live forever, but Like the bumper sticker says, honk if you're enjoying the millennium. Now I see a bumper sticker, I honk like crazy. Millennium is a technical term for the reign of God. We're in it. What was this whole message? The kingdom of heaven is here. And, and Paul personalizes this for what this means for us as believers. It means nothing less that God is raising up a new humanity. Redeemed. Restored. In fact, C.S. Lewis captures this so well with his simple term. Christians are little Christs. I I love how how, how C.S. Lewis puts this. He says, you know, if, if we let Christ, he will make the feeblest and filthy of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we now cannot imagine. This bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. Little Christs. That's why they're first called what? Christians. Christians. Our little Christ, this new humanity. And today we're going to see how we become a new humanity. How Christ gets worked in us to change us, and how Christ gets worked out of us to change our world. So that's a long introduction, but let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts 16. You can also go to second Timothy chapter three. And if you have a Bible on, like mine, Acts is on 8:98 and uh, Timothy three is found on 965. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a, a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And that is an important detail, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles. All of that is in Acts 15. These are pretty big decisions for the church. Uh, the Acts 15 Council. They brought these to the people to obey, so the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. And now let's turn to Second uh, Timothy three Page 964. You, however, know all about my teaching. I'm beginning at verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching. I, again, I hate to do this, but the NIV just butchered it. And again, it's so Greek to turn this in what, into what we know. You know what the actual verb is? Follow. You, however, Timothy, followed all my teachings. You followed my way of life. You followed my purposes. You followed the faith I showed you the perseverance, the love, the, the endurance. You've followed my persecutions. You've followed my sufferings and, and, and the things that happened to me. Where? In Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and imp- imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But... As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the Word of God which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training righteousness so that the servant of God May be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's word. You can be seated. Okay, so Paul meets Timothy in a town called Lystra. Does anybody remember the town of Lystra? It's already shown up. If you were here last week. Uh, Lystra is this small town, kind of in the sticks, no more than 2,000 people. Uh, This is where Paul and Barnabas uh, go on their first missionary journey. And uh, they they show up to the synagogue, as, as what Paul and Barnabas do. And there's a lame man there. And they heal him. And how did the town respond to this? Do you remember? They're like, oh my goodness, the gods are with us. They think that Paul and Barnabas are the gods Zeus and Hermes come to visit them. So the next time Paul shows up in the synagogue, the whole town shows up. And not only does the whole town show up, but there's also this group of Jews. And remember, it's, it's a group. It's not all the Jews. Because a lot of the Jews have accepted Christ as their king. But there's a group of Jews that we oftentimes call Judaizers who are tracking Paul down wherever he goes. They're essentially all that Paul was before Paul came to Christ. And what they try to do, wherever Paul goes, is they try to incite that town to kill Paul. And sure enough, they get this whole crowd, which was about to crown Paul and Barnabas as gods, they get them to turn on Paul. Boy, how familiar does that sound. To the point where they're going to stone him. Now let me tell you what stoning was in that day. I think some of us just think stoning was. You, you, you take someone behind the woodshed. And everybody picks up a big rock. And, and, and they chuck it at the guy. Uh, the, the Mishnah. Which is the, the uh, extra writings of, of, of the uh, Jewish people at this time. Specified exactly how a stoning must take place. First of all, you would uh, strip a person down. You would tie their hands behind their back. And then you would take them to a cliff, which had to be at least 18 feet high. And they would stand over that cliff, and, and then the crimes that, that they had done would be read to them. There had to be at least two witnesses uh, to those crimes, And the person then at that point could defend themselves or not. And then uh, the, 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 the two that were bringing the crimes against the person would push the person off the cliff. Remember, their hands are tied. Minimum of 18 feet fall. Many people died just from the fall itself. Then once they're on the ground... Then they would pick up their rock, and each person had one stone. They could choose the stone, how big or small it was, and then they would hurl it at the person. And this is probably what they were going to do do to Jesus when they took him to the edge of a cliff. And this is exactly what they do to Paul. And then the text says, when you read it, it says they, they dragged Paul out of the city, thinking that Paul was dead... And I want you just to get that in your mind. um, Because it's like they're dragging this corpse outside the whole city. And then uh, his followers eventually gather around him. Paul comes to, gets up, and goes right back into the town of Lystra preaching the gospel. And that is such a window into Paul, you stone this guy, and he comes right back. Now it's in this town where there's a young man, uh, a teenager at at the oldest, named Timothy. And our text today gives us uh, just a little bit of background on Timothy. It, It says that his mother was a Jew, but his father was a Greek. So he has a Gentile dad and a Jewish mother. Now, we don't know all the details here. Uh, We don't even know if they were married. We don't know if this was an affair that produced Timothy. But I think that there are some clues here that allow us to discern certain things about Timothy's family. First, I heard this from John Piper. And I'll I'll never forget um, when he was teaching from 1 Timothy, one of the letters say that Timothy is most likely a mama's boy. Uh, He he did not grow up with with the presence of a spiritual father in his home, and and, and maybe no presence at all of, of any kind of father. But here's the strange thing from our text today. Timothy has never been circumcised. Every Jewish boy, Gets circumcised. I mean circumcision is the mark. That we belong to God. That, that, that we're in. That we, we, we get to participate. Not just participate with God. But participate fully in God's community. And so scholars believe that there's a reason for this. Timothy is a mamzer. Mamzer is a Hebrew word which is very close to our word for bastard. A mamzer is anyone who is born out of an improper marriage. And again, we don't know our, the, the book of Deuteronomy that well, uh, but Deuteronomy 23 verse 2 says, No one born of a forbidden marriage... Nor any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even to the tenth generation. And if you want this spelled out maybe even a little bit more clearly, at least, at least how they would have interpreted Deuteronomy 22 during the time of Paul and Jesus, because we have the Mishnah, which are these interpretations. Um, Deuteronomy 20, or Mishnah states that the offspring of a Jewish mother and a Gentile father is a momzer. A momser could not be circumcised. And and, and the circumcision is is only symbolic of the fact that to say to this person, you're not in, you don't belong, you don't get to uh, come to synagogue, you don't get to go to temple, Um, you are in a sense cut off. So I want us to just imagine what Timothy's whole upbringing would have been like Um, he would be this this little guy who's always on the outside looking in. And remember, synagogue isn't just going to church, but synagogue is also their school. He is pushed outside of all of this. And he's given this label. This label of of, of bastard. Momser. Our world does this, doesn't it? We love to label things, we, we, we love to label groups of people that we don't understand, that, that, that are what we would think outside of us. Um, we, we do this to individuals, we sometimes do this to ethnicities, um, and I'll tell you, religion can be almost the most cruel sometimes with its labels. Put yourself in Timothy's shoes. You spent your whole life with this label of being a momser, living life on the outside. And then one day, this guy Paul shows up to your town. And and Timothy, from his Jewish mother, probably hears the whole thing about about Paul. Oh my goodness, this is the best student of of the best rabbi, Gamaliel. He's coming to town, he's going to... And I, I, I can't help but wonder, so the, the first time when, when, when Paul comes to Lystra, uh, did, did, did Timothy have any contact with Paul? Did he hear Paul teach? Did, 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 did Timothy watch Paul get stoned? Did he then watch Paul, after he was stoned, come right back in town and start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's why I read Second uh, Timothy three, because I think Paul answers this very question. This, this letter, Second Timothy, is written decades later to Timothy, um, and, and, and Paul is reminding Timothy in Second in Timothy 3:10 and 11, of, of, of their first days together. He says, "Remember those persecutions that I endured and, and how you followed me." How you followed my teaching, you followed my example, you followed my aim in life, you followed my suffering. I mean, here's what I envision it's it's like the moment Timothy lays eyes on Paul, witnesses Paul, he just attaches himself to Paul and follows Paul wherever Paul goes. And I'm sure Paul took, took notice of it. It's probably like, man, everywhere I look, there's this kid. And now we come to our text today in Acts 16. This is a few years later. Paul returns. And remember, Lystra is just this small town that sticks. Paul doesn't usually visit cities like this. He's always going to the big city. So what's Paul doing in Lystra a third time? I'll tell you what he's doing. Paul is looking for a disciple. Paul is looking for Timothy. Timothy, come follow me. Be my disciple. I want us to know what this this kid would have heard Paul saying to him. Because discipleship in our day is much different than what discipleship was in the first century. Timothy's not hearing Paul say to him, hey, can we meet at Starbucks once a week? He is hearing Paul say, Timothy, I believe in you. I believe you can become like me as I become like Christ. And I want you to park your life right behind my life. I want you to get your your feet right behind my feet. And I want you to watch me walk because I'm going to teach you how to walk. I mean, these are, Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, He says, follow me as I follow Christ. This week, um, I was at the YMCA. And I was talking to this dad. (laughs) All of a sudden, tears just started coming down his eyes. His kid right now is on the high school retreat. And he said, my kid came home two weeks ago. And said, dad. I want to become just like my youth leader, Justin Morig. That's what discipleship is. I want to become just like you as you become just like Christ. And if you want to know how we become little Christ, it's not like God just waves this wand over us says poof no it's a disciple making disciples who right now is in front of you showing you how to walk who's coming to your mind Do you have a Paul in your life? I hope name after name is just, yeah, my teacher. Yeah, my dad. My mom. Yeah, my coach. Yeah, uh, my youth leader. Yeah, my grandparents. Who's coming to your mind? Yeah, this guy at Crossroads. I'm telling you, if names aren't coming to our minds, I'm going to whisper this because I could scream it with everything I have, but I'm going to calm myself down. (laughs) This whole thing is a waste of time. It's a waste. It's like when I lead Israel trips, I tell everybody at the first meeting, you know, Israel's just the excuse a great excuse, but it's just an excuse to step into discipleship. And I could say the same thing about crossroads. Crossroads is just the excuse or the means by which we can become disciples who are making disciples. If this looks intimidating to you if it sounds intimidating to you well let's start with this look at who paul picks because this even tells me that that paul is not just saying follow me but follow me as i follow christ because it looks so christ-like he he picks this kid from the from the stick someone who grew up in a broken home someone who's been called a bastard who's had to live life on the outside my kid... My uh, guess is that no one gave this kid a chance. Same thing with Jesus. Who does Jesus pick? Not the likely ones, the unlikely. Who's the gospel for? Read the gospels. Who takes hold of it? Who, who, Who embraces it? Who embraces Jesus? It's not the likely, it's the unlikely. But Paul took notice of this kid. That's why he's traveling to Lystra to find this kid. He saw a hunger in this kid. I know he did. Not just because I want to think that, but because um, it, it's right there in the verse that we read. Paul saw a kid who just was hungry to follow Paul To follow Paul's teaching, to follow Paul's example, to follow Paul's aim in life, to follow Paul as he's persecuted, to follow Paul in his sufferings. He saw that in Timothy. Another thing that he saw in Timothy, I know also from the letters that he writes to Timothy later. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, he says, Continue to fan into flame that white hot flame that burns in you. Uh, Paul saw in Timothy this guy who had a passion. God. And I love how in in also the text that we read in 2 Timothy 3 verse 15, he saw a kid, in spite of the fact that he was probably not allowed to go to synagogue, not allowed to go to synagogue school, still knew the scriptures from infancy, He knew the book. And I know the church sometimes bemoans the fact and and, and sometimes asks, where are the Pauls? But I'm going to ask this question, where are the Timothys? Where are the Timothys? Where are the young people who want to know Christ and have a fire in their gut to become like him? This whole church could be filled with Pauls and there will not be disciple making if there aren't Timothys. By the way, what would you what would you give to be right next to Timothy when Paul walks up to him? Maybe the most authoritative person on the face of the earth. Are you Timothy? Yeah, I'm Timothy. I'm Paul. Yeah, I know that. (laughs) Hey, Timothy, I want you to be my disciple. I want you to follow me. And I can just almost guess what's going on in Timothy's mind. Paul, you don't know me. You don't know. I'm I'm a momser. (laughs) I can just see Paul saying, Hey, dude, before any of us came to Christ, we were all momsers. And now in Christ, there are no momsers. We are all one in Christ. And the next day, Timothy leaves his family and follows Paul. And I'll tell you what Paul does with this kid because I think it is the blueprint for discipleship. Paul is going to become Timothy's spiritual father. He is going to take this kid under his wing. He is going to pour all that he is in Christ, all that he knows about God's word, um, all that he is, his calling, his strengths, his weaknesses, his vulnerabilities. He's going to pour his mistakes, everything into this kid, Timothy. As a father would their own son. In fact, I love how Paul will address Timothy years later. What Tim or what uh, John Piper calls a "mama's boy," someone who has no spiritual dad, he is going to address Timothy in First Timothy to Timothy, my true son, and then in his second letter to Timothy, my dearest, precious son. I think one of the hang-ups that, that, that we have about discipleship is why so few of us do it, is I think we've actually over-spiritualized it. I know, you're like, what's he going to say now? Um, I, I just I, I feel like so many of us uh, see discipleship as retreat, where uh, we find someone that, that we're going to mentor, and, and, and then we, we, we retreat, From the real world to go to this artificial world where we can be spiritual. And then we go back into the real world. That is not what Paul is doing. There's no retreat in Paul. Paul is going right into the teeth of the world. And he's taking Timothy with him into the teeth of the world. And he's showing Timothy not just how to be a Christ follower at church... Or at Starbucks. Or around the dining room table. I'll never forget when Ravi Zachariah said this when I was a youth pastor. He said, parents, you think that your answers to your kids' questions that you give them around the table are actually going to work. But they're not going to work in their schools and in their world. He said, You need to get in their world and then give them your convictions. I mean, Paul is this guy whose life is on mission. And there can't be discipleship without mission. Discipleship can only happen because of mission. You can't disciple someone if you yourself are not on mission, which is why at the beginning I asked you, are you called and what is your call? Look at Jesus. He's, his life oozes mission. Look at Paul. These guys are, are, are so on mission. And then they find the, the Timothys. They find the Peters. They find the Andrews. And they say, come follow me. And, and, and as their life is on mission, and, and, and they're showing them how to walk and, and, and teaching them uh, the, the mission that they are on. Then they're like, here's the keys to the car. Now you go. You, disciples, go into the world now and do what I did with you. You make disciples. And I'll tell you, years later, we're going to see what Paul does with this kid. Let me just give you a couple texts. Uh, First of all, from Philippians 2, 19 through 21, writing to the church in Philippi. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like Timothy who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests but not those of Christ Jesus. And that is an exact quote where Paul says, have this attitude among yourselves. And guess what? I have someone, Timothy, and I'm going to send him to you. And he's going to show you what Jesus looks like. He says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Or how about 1 Corinthians 4, 17 to 19? Paul says, therefore, to this church, he says, therefore, I urge you, become like me as I become like Christ. And for this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, who will remind you of my way in the life of Jesus, which agrees with everything I teach uh, in every church. In other words, what Paul is saying, I'm not just going to send a message to you. I'm going to send to you a flesh and blood disciple who is the message. I'm going to send you a Timothy. How many of us right now have Timothys? Little Christs that have been raised up that we can now send like arrows into the world. You know, eventually this kid from small-town Lystra is going to be the bishop of the church of Ephesus. Ephesus is the New York City. And you know what? I know the kid is barely in his 20s when he's the bishop of Ephesus. Because Paul, when he's writing to him, these are all the letters that Paul's writing to him, First and Second Timothy, he'll say, hey, don't let the church look down on you because of your youth. That word youth in Greek is almost the word for boy. I know you're just a boy, Timothy, but don't let them look down on you. But set an example. And all the things that you followed in me, now pass them on to others. If you want to know what changed the world, because the first and second century church changed the world, it's this. It's not because they had these mega churches where these huge crowds came in these big buildings. Uh, In fact, they hardly even had any buildings. They largely met in homes. They had minimal resources. But they revolutionized the world because they were a community of disciples who were making disciples. And this is how they became a new humanity. Little Christ's. Let me apply this. Where are the spiritual fathers? Where are the spiritual mothers? I am going to state the obvious. We are losing our kids. We're losing them. Because our kids need more than just a breadwinner. They need someone more than just who's going to pay the bills and and, and maybe pay for their college someday and put a roof over their heads. Our kids need spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. Parents, what's your goal? What's your plan? What's your intent? Is it to raise worldly successful kids or is it to raise Timothy's? Timothy's, that one day you can shoot like arrows into our world. And here's the deal. Every, every parent here, whether they know it or not, are, are discipling their, their kids into, into becoming something. Because everything that we do, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, the things that we value, the things that we celebrate, the culture in our home, it is all discipling our kids. And then stop and think about how much our world is shaping and discipling our kids. And as parents, do we get more excited about our kids' sporting events or their walk with Jesus Christ? Do we get more fired up about their report card or what they're doing for the Lord? Here's a question to ask about Timothy. Timothy. How did this kid who didn't get to participate in synagogue get to know the scriptures from infancy? I'll tell you how, because Paul tells us. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, Paul says, Timothy, don't forget the scriptures that were taught to you by your mother Lois and your grandmother Eunice. That's what Timothy had in his life before Paul entered. He had a mother and a grandmother who are spiritual parents to him. And I'm going to say this to the grandmas and grandpas right now in this church. I know there are not a lot of you, but I want you to know that your status and the importance of who you are has never been greater. Our young people need you. And many of them want you in their lives. And we need to go beyond our own children. I can't tell you how many times, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say at least once a week, I will have a young person come up to me and say, do you know of anyone at Crossroads who can disciple me? There's a hunger. Dawson Trotman, who, who, who started uh, The Navigators, uh, his question that he asked to his generation is just as valid today. He says, where are your men? Where are your women who have a love for God? Who know God's word? Who are walking God's path? And who are saying to the next generation, follow me as I follow Christ. And I know some of the things that we're thinking right now that become stumbling blocks to, to us entering it. Some of you right now are thinking that I have nothing to offer. I'm, I'm, I'm too bad. uh You know what, that is just a lie from the pit of hell. Look at Paul. This is why we've looked at the life of Paul. Paul, there's a reason why he can say, I, Paul, am chief of sinners. And the thing that Paul is going to give to Timothy, it's not just all the right answers. Paul would say the first thing you give to someone is your own weakness and your desperation for Christ and then look at Timothy look who Paul picks look who's doing the discipling look who's being discipled some of you are also thinking you know I'm I'm, I'm too busy for this it's going to take too much time <laughs> oh I'm preaching to myself right now. Is this going to be a huge inconvenience? Yep, it is. Is this going to get us out of our comfort zone? Yep, it is. This is why Jesus said, Count the cost. It's costly. It's costly to pour yourself into someone, it's costly to put your life behind someone, to spend time. It's costly. There's too much at stake. Who are we? Crossroads, and what is Crossroads doing here? I refuse to let Crossroads be a crowd of people that attend church on Sunday morning. God wants to raise up a new humanity that he can partner with. To bring new creation. To this world. So who are you? What are you doing here? Does your life have purpose? Does your life count? Listen, we haven't just been thrown into the world. We've been called. And the first call that every believer should hear is Jesus saying, come, follow me. And we don't do this to just hoard it, but then to look around for the Timothys in our world as we follow him with everything we have, that we would then pour all that we are in other people. Follow me as I follow Christ. God, just help us. That's all I can say. And God, when I preach a sermon like this, I'm I'm confronted with my own failures as a disciple maker, my failures as a pastor, my failures as a parent, and um, (laughs) this is where I just personally feel the joy of repentance. I am not going to let the enemy speak into my mind that it's too late or Anything other than what you say, repent, (laughs) turn, get back on my path, and follow me. And God, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would anoint us, that you would call us, that you would fill us, that you would cause us to give our lives to such a thing as great as this, for the sake of Christ. Amen. How about if just a couple of you just pray out loud right now? Just pray. The Lord leads you. Just uh, belt it out. God, I'm just going to ask that you would continue to help all of us. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. God, would we continue to hear the call in our life? And God, I hope no one leaves here thinking that we need more pastors. We don't need more pastors. We need more businessmen who are following Christ. We need parents and students and uh, bankers and builders who are following you. And God, may we just look within our sphere of influence, the people that are right under our nose. And God, may we see the Timothys. And may your Holy Spirit lead us and equip us for this task, for your glory. Amen. Have a great week, you guys.